0: You listen to Irish Radio Candidate Home and Abroad and the CD has just recently been launched and I would have to say it's unusual because it's covering a period of time that is rarely covered. We're familiar with the harpist or Carolyn and we're familiar with the classical scene with John Field. But outside of that, there is not a lot of awareness of the Irish, what would be old classical music and particularly for the harp. Siobhan Armstrong is one of Europe's foremost historical harpists playing single and multi-row European harps. And these are from the Middle Ages. And Siobhan has recently launched a CD from the period and has gathered the music from that time. Siobhan is here with me and she's going to talk about, she also founded, by the way, the Historical Harp Society of Ireland, and she's here with me. We're going to talk about uh, ancient Irish harp music and the recent CD. Siobhan, thanks very much for coming along.
1: Hi, Austin. It's lovely to be with you.
0: And straight in, uh, the period that you'd launched the CD covering, what period of time are we talking about?
1: So uh, we're looking at the period from 1500 up to about the year 1600. So it's the 16th century in Ireland, and I called it Music, Ireland and the 16th century. Uh, Very specifically because it's not only Irish music. I didn't sort of say Irish music of the 16th century. Uh, it, It encompasses the music of the the indigenous Gaelic people in Ireland, but also the music of the invaders because, of course, the 16th century historically is a very troubled period uh, in Irish history where uh, in the 1520s, Henry VIII decides he's going to get a grip on things in Ireland and there's going to be a reconquest and he's going to put manners on the Irish. And so, of course, he sends over his Tudor courtiers to do exactly that. So there's a It's an interesting, it's a very sad moment in Irish history in one sense, but culturally it's quite interesting because you have, the, as I say, the Gaelic um, music on one side, but you have the Tudor and Elizabethan music on the other. So I'm interested in... What, did the, what, did, what does O'Neill play? What do these chieftains play when they get home in the evening after the battle? What are the Tudors playing after a, a, happy days out, a happy day out sort of massacring and marauding? What are they playing when they get home? What instruments do they all play? What do they sing? What's the sound of the 16th century in Ireland? That's, that's what I was interested in here.
0: Um, where do you find your resources for that? Because the written word or the written note uh, would have been very scarce. So you're, yeah, into you're absolutely not just
1: right often. yeah you're, you're not just right.
0: into to battle history. You're into social history.
1: Exactly, um, and that's the question. And I suppose that's one of the reasons that this century hasn't really been covered before on a, uh, a uh, on a CD recording. Um, generally, when you read about um, Irish musical history, even all of the academic work. Uh, there's academic work that deals with sort of plain chant and early monastic music. But then there's a huge gap, and it's as if Irish musical history begins at the year 1600. So there are books about 17th century Irish music, for example. But I, I, I thought, looking at it, that I could bring it back by 100 years. And the reason I can do that is because the most important Irish um, musical instrument is the early Irish harp, You mentioned Carolyn in your introduction. It's the harp that was played by Carolyn and all his contemporaries. But, of course, it goes back, back, back 800 years um, prior to the year 1800 when it dies out. So you'd need to have an interest and an expertise in the music of that instrument if you're going to start looking at what the bigger picture is in the 16th century. So I'm
0: interested. The harp as an instrument... uh would also have evolved, and you mentioned that it is going way back. So as it evolved and developed, uh, one of the things I noticed, you have a harp that is strung with gold and, and uh, other uh, interesting, we'll talk about that as well, but that is brass and gold, I think. Um, but the earliest harps that you're aware of, what would they have been constructed in?
1: So we, the, Ireland is unusual in that we have this Instrument, as, as, as we b- were both aware here, and many of your listeners will be aware as well, of great antiquity and uh, history. So, and, and it's interesting that it's a very conservative history in that the the harps from the 18th century, there are about 18 instruments that still survive, which is a huge number of historical harps. If you think of my, um, I play Italian 17th century harp, and there are only two or three of those that survive in all of Italy. So to have 18 harps or so that survive is amazing. But they they were constructed largely in exactly the same way as medieval harps were constructed. So Irish society was very conservative, and the way of building these harps was quite conservative. So if you imagine a harp is a triangular-shaped object, Um, the the resonating chamber, the business end of things that the strings come out of that will make all the sound, Um, historically that was always carved out of a single tree trunk. Mm -hmm. If you think of a dugout canoe, you you Mm -hmm. would dig it out and then you'd put a back plate on it and uh, that's where the sound would originate from. So that's a medieval... way of constructing an instrument. And that carried on all the way into the 18th century. The traditional wood that was used was willow, because willow of course is a very flexible wood Um, and for the same reason that you would make cricket bats out of uh, willow, uh, you'd make an early Irish harp out of willow. So that was the, the traditional way of building the instrument. And then you had traditionally brass wire strings possibly silver. And very experimentally, I have some gold on my harp. We don't know that they really use that. Uh, And that contrasts with gut or horsehair strings um, in the medieval period and on into the 17th and 18th century in Europe. Um, And of course, it contrasts utterly with the modern Irish harp, which has nylon strings. Mm -hmm. So that's a very different instrument that was invented in the early 19th century, ironically, just as the other one was dying out. So there, there are different traditions.
0: And strings provide such a difference in sound, so the sound also would have been reflective of a period of time. And all we have to say is in the modern world where you have rock music and heavy metal, it's indicative of what can be achieved, whereas back then on the the cat gut string, a horse-haired string, it would have been a softer sound.
1: Yes, exactly. So the sound, the, the stringing material defines uh, the timbre and the sound of what you're going to hear. And of course the special thing about using metal strings, which is fairly unique to this part of Europe, to to, to these islands. Um, Ireland and the highlands and islands of Scotland, of course, shared a culture. We shared um, the language, uh, the same law sophisticated law system, our bardic poetry is the same, the music was the same. So it's this, it's, this, it's, it's, it's not even a sister culture, it was the same culture all the way into the 17th century. And the thing uh, that was very special here was that we seemed to have had incredible um, metalworking technology. So we could, uh, we could make these uh, very thin harp strings um, from at least the 8th or 9th century. And so that gave rise to this metal-strung harp that we had. And the special thing that you'll hear um, on the soundtracks um, Today are that you have this incredibly resonant, melting sound that people have been talking about for centuries. All the visitors to Ireland talk about this incredible mm-hmm. sound of the early Irish harp.
0: Somewhere along the line, there was a divergence. Then, and the harp stayed in Ireland, and the bagpipes went to Scotland.
1: Well, I suppose we probably all have bagpipes, but they—they've become, I suppose, very famous for their for their outdoor. Um, wind-blown bagpipes and yeah. of course we got the we hung on to the very sophisticated illon pipes which are a stunning instrument as well I'm a, I'm a real piping fan so right. um, I'd be a great lover of the pipes as
0: well Right So the music then that you are um, showcasing on this CD uh, that it is reflective of a period of time again that required that you were able to find records and that, and I mean written written records as distinct from multiple understanding of the word, but to find a record of the music.
1: Yeah, again I suppose um, I felt like I was the person to do it because I have a musicology background, so I have a degree in music uh, from Trinity College in Dublin and for my sins for the last uh, five years I've been doing a PhD um, at Middlesex University in London dealing with um, the manuscripts that were left behind by a very interesting um, young uh, teenager uh, at the end of the 18th century, a man called Edward Bunting. And Edward Bunting was um, an Anglican church organist in Belfast who was commissioned to write down the music um, from the last few Harpers that were gathered together in 1792 in July um, at a Harpers gathering in Belfast when it was obvious that this thousand-year tradition was about to drop dead because, um, they, you know, all the harpers were quite elderly, the tradition was on its knees. <clears throat> and so Edward Bunting um, went out into the field, if you like, and uh, copied down the music from the last remaining harpers. And one man particularly got his interest, a 97-year-old harpist called Housey, Housie, Dennis O'Hampsy, um from County Derry, And Bunting could see that this man was basically a living medieval harper still hanging on to this tradition at the end of the 18th century. So O'Hamsey was playing really unusual old music. He played... the, the last remaining example for, of a, a, a medieval tuning prelude, a harp prelude, um, he played a formal lament for the Baron of Lochmoe, who'd uh, died in around the year 1600, uh, not too far away from me here in Kilkenny. Uh, the Baron of Lochmoe Lough- is just out, he was outside of Turles, um, in County Tipperary. A very unusual esoteric piece. Um, so I wanted to record those pieces, you know, anything that was pre-1600. But of course, you have to be able to read those dots in the manuscript. You have to be able to make sense of the, of Bunting's scribble because he was scribbling the music down as fast as he could. So it's really ambiguous stuff. Um, so you'd need to spend years and decades of your life working through it to get to the stage of being able to present it.
0: That actually brings to the question that was going through my head as you were speaking, that Written music is probably the only universal language that exists and transcends time.
1: That's you're absolutely right. Um, and but wound up with that is the fact that we have we have to think when somebody writes down music in one century. Like Bunting, there he is in the 1790s writing it down. And there's me in the early 20th, uh, 21st century looking at it. How how do I understand what he understood? You know, we're looking through filter after filter. He's trying to write down what uh, Dennis O'Hamsey is playing. But of course, that's a very difficult task. in in any genre of music, to write down what somebody is playing, because how do you get that nuance? How do you write down the subtleties? Like, if you were trying to write down a Beatles song, yesterday, how do you write down that rhythm? There's a swing in the rhythm that you can't even write down. So, poor old Bunting was doing his best, and was getting a lot of it right and was undoubtedly getting a lot of it wrong or wasn't quite getting there. So I'm looking at it with my sort of classical music hat on and thinking, well, I can think like bunting because we both have a classical music training but I I suppose I have what Bunting didn't, in that I actually play that instrument and I've listened to a lot of traditional music in my life and maybe he hadn't. So I'm hoping that I can make up for the fact that he was there, I wasn't, but I have another bunch of skills that maybe he didn't, so hopefully together I can get us a little bit closer to that sound world uh, of the the end of the 18th century and through that we can see this 16th century music that Ohamsey was playing
0: is when you talk about the Beatles and yesterday, what went through my head is a recent, uh, I put a photograph up in the last few days, a picture of a road sign with Le Hinch, L-E-H, and someone came back and said, since when did it come L-E and not L-A, Hinch? So, and I'm saying that because with the interpretation of the written word over a period of time, the very thing you talk about, the nuance, the accent, and even how names change because of the accent, was musical notation, has it changed uh, radically or very minutely over the centuries? In other words, given that Tchaikovsky and all the, the, um, be it Handler, the others, that were using this notation format, has it remained consistent?
1: I think that's just such an excellent question Austin and that's that's at the crux of I suppose what I was doing with my PhD work was looking at it and uh the the short answer is that yes of course notation has changed we mean different things now when we write things down or when we look at uh, when we look at music we see it in a different way to somebody at the end of the 18th century because we have different training to them. And I suppose that's where my, my other hat that I wear is helpful in that I've spent um, the last 25 or 30 years playing early European music, so playing medieval Renaissance and Baroque European music, so from the 15th century up to about 1800. And that's very helpful when I'm looking at what Bunting wrote down. Because he's, he's an 18th century musician who had a Baroque music training. And I play Baroque music all the time. I play Handel and uh, earlier composers uh, would be sort of my, my, my day job, as it were, when I'm, when I'm going to Europe and doing that. Um, and so I think I can. that helps me to recognize what he's, what he's hearing and how he's writing it down. Um, in a way that maybe somebody who 's only familiar with modern music, modern classical music, they might not quite see the nuances it 's even little ways that he will he will sort of put little slurs over groups of notes, and I think that means. Uh, that has implications for how you phrase those notes. That instead of going, he might have, you know, again, we get back to yesterday. It always goes back to the Beatles in the end. It's (laughs) like, how do you swing that rhythm? And if you see those little slurs over two groups of notes, over those little couplets in the 18th century, you know that you should swing the rhythm a bit. But a modern musician might not do that because uh, modern musicians tend to believe what's on the page. Okay. Um, and I think uh, Baroque musicians, we, t- we, we understand that what's on the page is not the music. It's only giving you a hint, and you better have a whole bunch of skills that are and um, sensitivity towards it if you want to really get behind what's on the page, because the notes are never the music.
0: And where that brings me, I suppose, when I hear, you know, if you put a piece of traditional Irish music in front of somebody from Sligo, Galway, Clare, um, Waterford, uh, they're going to interpret, or how how it's going to sound. Yes, the melody will be the same, but the nuance is going to be different.
1: Exactly, absolutely. I mean, if you if you write down a hornpipe on paper, you don't realise that all those notes are supposed to be dotted. That it's a ya da dee 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 You know, you'd play ya da 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 that's yeah. not it at all. But uh, somebody with the with the embedded knowledge of the music will just look at it and they'll play you a hornpipe and somebody who doesn't have that will just play you a bunch of notes that sound nothing like a hornpipe. But they're all playing the same notes but yes. it, the effect is not the same at all. So I, you're absolutely right, you're right. Now of course what, what, I, what I don't have, because it's a dead tradition, I really don't know how O'Hamsey played. So how do I fill that gap? And I suppose that's some of the work I do with the Historical Harp Society of Ireland, um, which I founded 20 years ago to promote this early Irish harp because it's kind of got lost. It's the national emblem, but nobody really played it here uh, much 20 years ago. And so what we do at our summer festival every year is we invite uh, living masters of Irish music, soloists, singers, pipers, fiddle players, uh, we'd invite them along and we interrogate them for an hour. We say, OK, tell us what you think is important. What should we be thinking about? Play us you know, a tune that you think we should hear. And we try and get that blast, that taste mm-hmm. of what a mm-hmm. really um, a wonderful living musician is doing. We try and then attach that to what we're taking off those manuscript pages to see right. if that helps us put a bit more blast on it.
0: Um, I had the opportunity of meeting Mary O'Hara many years ago when she performed in, in Ottawa at a harp festival. Oh! Um, wow. so yeah, and the uh, harp community is quite strong in and around Ottawa. It's, it's an am- amazing number of harpists and harp two harping schools. Um, How wonderful! Yeah. Wonderful. And uh, so it was. It was very enjoyable. Um, if anybody, uh, yeah, the one thing, your the, the society, when you say of you your summer school, when would that normally run?
1: So uh, it used to always be in the middle of August, and now from this year it's going to be at the end of July. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's the 25th to 29th of July this year. Um, the thing that's special about this year is that because we can't uh, hold it in person, because normally we have people from all around the world who come to it, mm-hmm. um, So we're a completely online festival for the first time this year. And that's really exciting for us because it means that uh, people from all around the world can join us. We have a sort of we've organized our timetable so that we have a sweet spot in an Irish afternoon between two and six. No. So that means that uh, people on the east coast of um, North America can uh, attend our events from from the morning morning time or even in the sort of Midwest or maybe the central part of Canada. We do have a few diehards when we put things on. Now, we've had a few Zoom meetings. We have a few diehards in California who get up at five o'clock in the morning. They're kind of in a family who've been coming to us for years. <clears throat> and we have another few diehards in Japan who will stay up until the small hours of the morning so that we can no. all say hello to each other. Other. but um, for the purposes of attending hands-on events they'll all be between two and six in the afternoon and our talks and concerts are pre-recorded so people can hear them and listen to them whenever they like.
0: If anyone wants to register for that is registration still available?
1: It's absolutely available and we have an early bird um, going until the uh, beginning of July so June is a great month to sign up for any harpists who want to join us and also this year <clears throat> we're inviting uh, um, harpists who play all kinds of harps. You don't have to play early Irish harp. You only have to have an interest in what were the old boys playing? Would you like to look at those dusty old manuscripts? We'll hold your hand and help you decipher them. We'll introduce you to a who's who of historical harpists and everybody who's very keen on this and you'll make a bunch of new friends. And So you can sign up at festival.irishharp.org.
0: And if anybody wants to find out where you are on the web, SiobhanArmstrong.com
1: uh, I have my own uh, very neglected web pages but they can find me on SiobhanArmstrong.com of course you have to be able to spell Siobhan so that's <laughs> S-I-O-B-H-A-N SiobhanArmstrong.com their Historical Harp Society is a Twitter okay. user if people would like to hear the new album they can just go to Bandcamp so it's SiobhanArmstrong.bandcamp.com or it's, I'm also uh, you, can, you can get to it through my website
0: Fantastic. Well, Shimon we'll share a track with the listener. It's been a real pleasure and a treat chatting with you and meeting you. Oh, you're uh, so
1: welcome, Austin. I'm delighted
0: to meet you. And hopefully we might even encourage a few of the Ottawa Harpers to sign up and attend the summer school.
1: There will be a warm welcome for them. We're, we're We're a big family who meet every year and we love to see new people. So there'll be a warm welcome for them if they'd like to come along.